Thank you for tuning in to today's TLDR episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but look at it through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Ralph Hook, founder and CEO of Logilica and adjunct professor at UNSW Australia. Ralph shared a pretty sophisticated view of what the API lifecycle velocity actually means when it comes to not just the technical, but also the business and politics of how software is being delivered within the enterprise. Let's just start with the basics. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Kim. Great to be here. Um, I'm Ralph Huck. I'm the founder and CEO of Logilica. And we are a data analytics company and data intelligence company for engineering leaders. Basically, we are a bit like the second brain for VP of engineering, keeping track of your delivery and production pipelines, grabbing all that data, running data analytics on top of it, and give you sort of the top-level radar view about all the activities that's going on. And APIs our bread and butter on a daily basis. So it's a great yeah, to be no, here. Thank, thank you, you for joining me. I was... Really, the the view that I'm spending a lot of time in is what what's I guess I don't know. Gartner uses the phrase platform ops, um, but it's there's this Venn diagram mm. of a lot of ops. So DevOps, GitOps, platform ops, SecOps, and so I, I'm living in this spectrum right now. When I first came across what y'all are offering, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is I think cut from the same cloth of the world I'm trying to understand. So. So let's start at the highest levels. What's what's the value to to business and engineering leadership when it comes to what 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 you all are building and in that view of the landscape you have? Look for us is really about creating clarity around the engineering process, having a little bit of governance on top of it, but really being able to deliver product faster. So basically from the inception, from the planning state, let's say in your Jira tool, Monday, whatever you're using shortlist, down to the development pipeline to release and production. How can you make that process as smooth and sort of as quick and as accelerated as possible? And obviously, as you know, there's a lot of bottlenecks in the software development lifecycle from people being overloaded, from your build server running too slow, from tickets being stuck somewhere. And all of these signals is what we pick up in the software lifecycle through APIs and then give leadership sort of a top level view around this. How do we able to minimize the friction, keep everyone happy and being quicker to market? And obviously, in that sense, serving our customers better and being able to react to customer input and feedback much quicker than we would be able to normally do. That's really what we are looking Makes after. Sense. Now, for developers on the ground floor, down in the weeds of operations, what's the benefit benefit for us? So. First things, you don't have to do manual reporting anymore. So that's, I think, one of the important things, right? If your boss asks you, hey, what's the status of my tickets? Or, hey, how do we do? What did we do last week? Or are we, you know, do we are we stuck somewhere? What do we need to focus on? The last thing is you want to compile this, talk to three of your colleagues, uh, put it in an Excel sheet, and somebody kind of puts it into their Excel sheet. And then at the end of the month, they see, oh, actually, the build times is like three times as long. Maybe we should address this. So we want to gather that information automatically, you know, cut the overhead and burden for development. 
but then in turn also give developers a good argument. Look, here we can do it more, much more of a data-driven approach. Things take too long. Yes, you kind of say we need to get through more tickets, but you know the build server runs half a day, so we can only do you know two builds a day, and we really can't you know do the whole test development cycle. Or uh, you know we have got uh, so many tickets and we only have three people, we can't do five tickets a day. That's just not realistic. So you get a lot of evidence and a lot of data that you can use to kind of communicate into both directions. And then obviously, the more you move to a more open team culture, the much more you can bring all the sides together and sort of you being able to really see things that you normally don't see. It's not that you don't have that information, but it's typically deep down in some silos. Um, and, you know, if you're a developer and you probably know this as well, there are certain parts you care about, other parts you really don't care about because it's not your job, but that might as well impact your job. So if that visibility is not there, you kind of have to suffer these consequences about somebody else not seeing that context information. And, you know, bringing that together is, I think, is a real benefit to the developers. Also can say, hey, you know, we, we are overloaded and this is the reason why. Uh, you know, things are going too slow and this is the reason why, instead of sort of uh, blaming, finger pointing, complaining in both directions. Um, so we see that creates much better understanding, better team culture and happier people is sort of happier delivery. That's at least a hard so this point is, of view. This is a very observable, transparent, collaborative process. It's not a big brother yeah. looking down, monitoring solution for, for leadership. No, look, we, we, we stay away from this. I know there are solutions out there that kind of measure developer performance. That's not really what we do, what we look into. And we don't care whether you produce 20 lines of code or 200 lines of code, uh, because we don't think that's really comparable. It's more about the process. Do we follow process? Do we do code reviews? Is there something where things are stuck? And does it something that needs attention? And that attention could be, let's say, on a daily stand-up. You know, let's say we have got PRs that have been in review for three days. So maybe just somebody forgot about this. So it's information that, you know, nobody needs to know other than the development team. Uh, so you can resolve that proactively before it kind of bubbles up later. And it's really not about measuring people's performance because as probably you and I know different developers with different tasks. It's really, it's not something you want to do or can really do. It's more about the processes, you know, is the pipeline smooth? Do we deliver smoothly? All these things um, that kind of, do we work on the right things? Um, if you suddenly have half of the team working on bug fixing, the question is, why is that? So maybe we have too much technical debt that we can address and so on and so forth. So these are the things we're much more concerned about rather than so individual performance. Because, um, you know, in our view, software development is a team sport. It's about, you know, getting good teams together and getting basically the telematics to optimize your processes around this. And sometimes I use the, the comparison to Formula One, which is at least quite popular in this part of the world. And, you know, you have these race cars with all the telematics, and it's really about how do you optimize, you know, your race rather than how do you optimize and blame the driver mm -hmm. for not doing the right thing. So so for me, I'm, I'm focused on the API lifecycle. So software development lifecycle with the API lifecycle kind of overlaid on it. Um, delivering uh, microservices, public APIs, but velocity means 
different things to different teams in different APIs. So how does this layer help me understand, like, truly, what is velocity? What is meaningful or purposeful yeah. velocity? Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that really depends who you're talking to. And that's, as you said, these are the different layers. You know, on an individual developer level, your velocity might be how long does it take you to work through pull request from open coding, opening a pull request, reviewing it, merging it back into the main branch. And, you know, we can come to Dora metrics in a moment, but, you know, ideally, you know, these cycles are like in a 24, 48 hour time frame. And then maybe you have feature tickets. How long does a feature ticket take? Well, typically it should be happening within a sprint and your sprint might be two weeks. So you already see you've got different levels of velocity. And then on top of this, you have your infrastructure. So how many releases or how many builds do you have per day? How many releases do you have per day? And how successful are the releases? And that's where we can come to the DevOps more like of metrics like Dora metrics. And all these the different velocities speak to different levels of the people and the organization, but it all needs to fit together in order to deliver smoothly. Because, um, you know, if it's any, any of those velocities is really stuck, then you yeah. probably have a problem. So is this, is this a, an additional layer? Is this part of my, if I'm an API product manager, is this part of my feedback loop that I should be building into uh, everything that I take into account as I'm iterating and moving forward my, my products? Maybe, maybe tell me a bit more about what your API product manager is doing in this, in this regular well, day I mean, job. I'm focused on business outcomes and business objectives and what, and I'm hopefully yeah. aligned with my consumers and I have, I have a feedback loop in place with them, but that's very dependent on the velocity of my team, the quality, the reliability yes, of the builds. Because yes. the, the, yes. the APIs could be building, but I could be issuing a lot of patches or do, there could be other quality issues in there. So um, I'm as a product manager, I just, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm worried about my consumer, them getting what they want and when they need and being agile and flexible that way. Yes, 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 yes. So in a way, this mm -hmm. is your internal feedback loop, right? So from, from our point of view, it's everything from inception to shipping it out of the door. And then obviously it's over to the customer side. And then you have got the typical log monitoring and type of external feedback and consumer feedback sentiments and so on. But how do you create that internal, you know, the internal steps that are typically quite often, you know, engineering is sort of an art form and it's a black box and you don't really see what's going on. Um, if you can bring clarity to that one so you can streamline your processes much better, organize teams, see where you need to allocate this. And basically your internal spend, you can allocate to the right problems and make sure that you have the delivery as uh, efficiently as possible. So how at, at this layer, would you say, um, how much how, how many of how much of the friction that you most commonly see is people or technology issues i think that goes hand in hand so if you if you have technology issues you're going to have people issues so if you know, it goes you know it starts off with your common tooling if people don't enjoy their tooling they're going to be frustrated and you have people issues um obviously it's a bit of a team culture and an organizational culture thing as well and, you know, we, we can't discount that. If you have very much a command and control um, organization where people don't work together and just get dictated what they have to do, 
better data doesn't necessarily help you more because it's a, probably somebody in the organization has got some vested interest that that data doesn't get shared around. It is not visible because it takes away some of the command and control power. But I think especially in more modern organization and especially, you know, working in a hybrid world, working remotely, if you don't get that information together, people will feel very isolated. They don't have a view what's going on. And it really becomes difficult both from an engineering, but also from a management side. Um, you know, we've been working mostly remotely in the last two years, two and a half years. And it's difficult to always stay on top of all the different activities going on. Uh, when you're not in the same room, I mean, normally you don't need to have even a stand-up or a meeting. You see what's what's going on, what's happening at the desk behind you. You always sort of get that sense around the right signals. Is somebody frustrated? Do things not work? Or is there sort of a sense of panic? If you just do this remotely via Slack or other tools, it's very difficult to get these uh, signals and that sense. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, combining in the end, you don't do technology for technology's sake, but, you know, to get some outcome that might be faster product delivery, happier customer or happier teams, ideally all of the above. But how do you get those signals and how do you are you able to stay on top of all the other activities that you normally have to do? I think so. It's these two parts come to, together. What quite do you a bit. see contributes to happy teams? Like what are the, the things that alleviate that pressure? From that that teams face regularly. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think one is sort of trust from leadership. I mean, if a leader trusts their team, the team feels empowered to do the right decisions. And you know what? I think no team or no developer ever likes micromanagement. I think that's probably the the last thing that's on somebody's mind. Um, at the same time, from a you know, product manager, team, new VP of engineering, you want to know, are we on track? Do we do the right thing? How are things progressing? And again, if you're not sitting in the same room, you don't want to slack somebody twice a day. Hey, how are we going? How are we going? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So if you get sort of these signals fed a little bit and say, okay, everything's on track. I can see my epics are progressing. I can see our, you know, our deployments are running quite smoothly. I don't have to even interact in terms of you know asking people of how we're going, how are we going? Because I have the confidence. So and you can kind of build that trust over time. And I think secondly, I mean it's always as you know, when it comes to major releases, there's always a bit of a crunch time. So everyone's kind of busy. You find a lot of things in QA that you think you would have never need to worry about. Um, there's certain features that might or might not ship and not everything comes together at the very end. And I think that's sort of normal. You just want to make sure it doesn't become the normal that it happens continuously. So maybe you can see a spike on activity. Things take a bit longer, certain things. Uh, you know, people have too many PRs open. Let's say you have three PRs, four PRs open in parallel. Um, that's kind of quite stressful. It might be okay coming up leading to the release, but afterwards you want to get into more calmer waters again. Um, so as, as a developer, I'm probably happy to keep up for this for, for a week or maybe 10 days before the release, but I don't want to have this all the time. Um, again, so it becomes a balancing act about, you know, 
being able to accept certain situations, but making sure they don't go out of control. And if you as an organization have sort of the trend that points to the wrong directions, let's say reviews don't get done, things take too long, people maybe leave, that's a sort of a different indicators. Um, I think that's sort of something we need to quite cautious about and see what do we do that needs to address, be addressed more principally um, to kind of help the teams and help the organization as well. Yeah. So there's the part, I mean, it's coming from my view of the landscape, again, API, deploying APIs, mm. the, what what you all offer can give me a lot of visibility and and just a, a lot more awareness as part of our release process across teams organizationally. But the other part that you touched on when we first opened is, and I, I don't, I find a lot of companies don't see this layer is our infrastructure has APIs and that's what really powers and fuels what you, you all are building. And so there's a um, pretty huge opportunity to capture the, uh, that data exhaust. I mean, you, you guys are demonstrating that on a daily basis and then mm -hmm. bring, use that for intelligence and making sense of the landscape. Look, I think one aspect, um, don't want to reach too much far into the future, is basically also the cost aspect. You know, you have a lot of infrastructure. Can you marry up that infrastructure with cost? Let's say your cloud cost. Do you know how much your EKS cluster is actually costing this? How does it scale? Again, you have got the APIs, but it's probably different APIs and different systems that kind of need to be married up. Um, here a little bit, let's talk FinOps, for example, because it's one of the mm -hmm. ops you didn't mention in your introduction. It's, it's another aspect, right? How do you now correlate all this with your internal cost? And, you know, how much does a product feature cost you? And how do you kind of feedback that back into the whole lifecycle process? And again, when you have got all the APIs, you have got the infrastructure APIs, um, but marrying up that data, that's um, obviously not straightforward. So data-driven ops, but ops spread across all these different areas allows me to to be more aware, but then optimize my spend. Sounds like a pretty good opportunity for yeah. automation there as well, exactly. too. I think so as well. But and it goes back to, you know, if you're in sales or marketing, you probably people use Power BI and have their BI tools. In engineering, you don't plan that way yet. One of the reasons is because old school waterfall, you never had enough mm -hmm. data to make those decisions. Your development cycles were quite long. They took uh, months. And at the end, somebody does some testing. I mean, obviously, even in the old days, it wasn't exactly like this, but you didn't just get the short cycles to get enough data. And it's really like, you know, infrastructure moving to agile. In a way, you have got all these data points. So now you can kind of help to smooth out the, the trajectory and move along towards, um, you know, the, the goals you just mentioned. And I think that's really one of the changes why, you know, this more data-driven approach makes sense today and probably didn't really make sense 10 years ago because your development processes, infrastructure, also, you know, engineers haven't been really empowered running infrastructure, managing DevOps processes. So I think it's already much more distributed than it was it used to be. Now, with all this distributed information, how do you bring the overall, let's say, engineering radar back in uh, so that you know you're moving into the well, right this direction? This seems pretty key. I would say one of the number one asks 
Um, the, the top two asks I get from enterprise customers when it comes to API landscape, kind of the highest levels discovery, where's all of our APIs mm. and where's all of our infrastructure, mm. infrastructure and what's going on. Mm. They just don't have any visibility and then governance. They want to be able to, cause they can't ever realize any governance cause they can't actually see most of it and understand it. So this sounds like a really, mm. um, I mean, I was just reading one enterprise group. I won't mention their name, but they're. They're saying, you know, we have 68 teams who've all been doing their own thing for a number of years. And we're trying, we, we got them to agree to a single gateway strategy and policy strategy, but they're all, they all have their own software development lifecycle. But we've got to figure out a way to start mapping mm -hmm. that, understanding it, having our finger on the pulse of it, and then driving it in a specific direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, look, governance. Is, uh, is a very good um, point here. And, you know, understanding, especially in the enterprise environment, what are you actually doing? And I mean, there's reasons why people have different software development life cycles, right? They might have front end, back end, different product lines and so on, infrastructure. So you, they, they sh probably mm -hmm. shouldn't be exactly the same, but if you don't have any visibility into this, that's just, it's, it's a lot of chaos, right? And chaos is also always means it's really unpredictable and you don't know where to action this. Um, and, you know, the, the government's aspect that you said, okay, let's first gather the information about what we are actually doing. Once you have got that information, you can start some discussion and some decision-making process. You probably don't want to jump to conclusions in the first second, um, but you can sort of see, okay, this is where we are at. And that's probably in the API lifecycle, very similar. I mean, I can imagine you have got, you know, people struggle with having, do they have APIs? What versions of APIs do they use? Um, what about vulnerabilities in APIs? What's the remediation path? I mean, all these different things. And again, it probably speaks to different groups with different priorities. And, you know, there's always fires that are burning, but which ones do you address yes. more principally? Yes. And, and responding, perpetually responding to whatever those application needs are, not the, the holistic overall organizational mm. or strategy or and without much awareness of how mm. other teams build things so i can see the data being able to equip teams with this just to to get them being able to understand what's happening see have visibility into other teams and get kind of notifications on on what what is happening what is what mm -hmm. is the software development life cycle for those groups over there and, and how can i learn from it or how can they learn from me yeah yeah very true. How, how does governance, you know, how, how does Postman deal with governance? Because yeah. it's a big topic, right? So where do, where do you even start and what sort of the priorities that you see from, from a Postman's point of view? This is sort of my, my top three things I would really, or our customers would well, really address. I mean, governance, mean, it, like most things in the API world, means many different things to many different people, depending on who you talk to. Same with the API lifecycle. Well, what's the API lifecycle? You'll get a different opinion from different folks. Um, so governance tends to start with consistency of the, the interface. So the design and the, and the patterns mm -hmm. we use. 
and and starting with rest like using http 1.1 and and then having common whether mm-hmm. it's it's uh the design and everything so that's the widest swath of what people think is governance and so at design time you try to apply certain governance so when you're building you designing your api and developing it but then the other side is a set of rules that will lint and check for that in the pipeline so there's uh, like rules engines mm-hmm. called like spectral mm-hmm that allow you to say every API has to have this header and here's the rule. And so, and then that gets put Mm -hmm. into the pipeline. So Postman is known as a testing tool uh, and you can write contract tests and you can run those against your APIs and then you can put those into your pipeline. Governance is just kind of getting layered on that. So you'll do your contract tests, your performance tests, your security tests, and then your governance tests all as kind of a suite at the pipeline layer. But depending on how well your team's been educated about those rules, why they matter, about good API design, Mm -hmm. you're going to have all kinds of Mm -hmm. pissed off, excuse me, pissed off developers who hit the pipeline um, (laughs) and and it fails. So I think, and and they don't have any sort of visibility in the why. So I can see more awareness at this layer that that you're all speaking to, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think the why is quite important and why it also then goes back to team culture. I think mm-hmm. that that's important as well. So we're definitely not the, the solution for everyone. If you if you decide clarity and visibility and sharing is not something your organization wants, then we're probably not the, yeah. the right partner for you, to be frank here. But I think, you know, developers are hard to find. Keeping developers is even harder. And I think that needs to be appreciated. And, you know, the same way that products are built more and more bottom up, I mean, the culture needs to be built in a similar way. And I think even even more traditional enterprises, we see that changing quite a bit um, because nobody just wants to be the, the coding monkey that's told what to do without having input and understanding, you know, it's, it's, I think people feel much more empowered when they understand why they do things and why, you know, from, from feature to delivery to processes, it's really, you know, the whole why thing, why do I do this? Um, and if you see how you fit into this, uh, why and the whole end to end story, I think it makes a much better experience from, you know, being part of an engineering organization. And, you know, previously I've been working in different organizations from R&D to large enterprises to startup. And obviously in a startup organization, you see everything end to end. So that's that's great. And anything you, you touch, you know, you see the impact of it. But obviously the moment you scale and you move to a large organization, that's difficult. Um, but at least if you know, okay, this is the big picture, um, ideally beyond your your annual company meetups or whatever you're running, like your QBRs or something like this, the more you understand, okay, this actually makes sense. And I see where we are moving and why we are moving that way. And that might be just, you know, changes of the infrastructure, changes why APIs might be much more important and, you know, why we might become much more, let's say, modular, distributed, running on different infrastructure, I think that all kind of helps to get a better feeling and understanding. 
because as a as a developer of course you understand what the latest trends are and if you see you're part of that that's always a good thing rather than oh yes my organization hasn't innovated for 20 years and we still do it that way while the rest of the world moved on so that's <laughs> i think that's that's the most frustrating thing unless you, you mm -hmm. really don't care too much about your job yeah i think for me one thing i've learned in tech um in the last 20 years is the scale of things it's it and it's very virtual. It's hard to see, you know, whatever C means hard, hard to see releases, hard to see your APIs. Like people always ask me, what's an API? And well, you know, they're, 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 they're difficult to see. And so anything that yeah. helps us see that, but understand yeah. our position in it and then understand what's possible. So mm. do you feel like the type of awareness that this data driven approach brings, can we, can we set up different kind of tiers of guardrails for developers based upon juniors? You know, because we have a lot of turnover of staff and developers. Developers come and go. Can we mm -hmm. set up appropriate mm -hmm. sets of guardrails for junior, mid, senior level developers so that they they can experiment safely in a in a in an aware environment? Yeah. Look, I'm not sure guardrails. At least the different. Mm -hmm. views and visibility. I think if you're junior and right, I mean, know this from, from junior and people on my team, they are not so much interested into the end to end delivery. They're interested mm -hmm. in their task, um, whether their pull request kind of gets reviewed, whether it's stuck somewhere, whether they need help and reach out. So you basically get uh, things around, you know, review coverage, latency, uh, lead time to change these types of things on a, on a more, let's say smaller scale level. Um, well, obviously, if you're a team lead or a bit more senior, you'd like to see a bit more end-to-end -end those things. Um, you don't maybe care about the small things because you know these things are running anyway. So it's a bit of a different view. Again, I think we're not so much in favor of control, but more about visibility and different views and different insights speaking to different stakeholders. If you're VP engineering, really, you don't care about how quick Joe's or Kin's uh, PR is going to be resolved. You're saying, okay, how many people do I have on which features and how quickly can we deliver those features? Everything else and how much does it cost me? And everything else is sort of a bit goes down in the noise and you don't need to see this as long as you have sort of a trail of evidence why that is actually the case. So... You don't get just a number of pretty charts, but you have the ability to drill down into this and then see, okay, down up to, you know, the, the lower level that you need. Let's say your build performance or the actual tickets people are working on, because it might be, yes, it takes a long time because it's complex. So at least you have got that trail of evidence to have the communication across sort of your teams or, you know, with, with your team members rather than saying, I drive the KPIs or guardrails by some number. And unless we have 15, we're not doing good. Um, and when we do 16, we are great. If you don't have that context, that's always Context difficult. is key. So shifting, I know you depend on APIs to for this data-driven approach across many providers. What are your biggest frustrations when it comes to having to run your business, support your customers, using other people's APIs, you know, maybe outages. I don't know if there's been any outages from major providers lately. We won't mention, but uh, yeah. No, look, look, outages is probably not the main issue. It's probably all the mm -hmm. undocumented bits in the APIs 
where you know the documentation and the APIs are not in sync. Um, some surprising bugs, you know, where the REST API works okay, but the GraphQL API doesn't do the same thing for not obvious reasons. Or, you know, the driver, you know, using using Python works, using JavaScript doesn't work. I think those things are frustrating and in general, just for, for building a product. I think for maintaining a product is always version changes, um, behavioral changes. How do you track that? Can you get notified in time that things gonna break? I think that's that's some of the, the challenges. And then I think everything in sort of the container Kubernetes space, that's always quite interesting because you've got a lot of things auto-scaling and if they don't do, why is that happening just now if not yesterday? So anything related to timing, concurrency issues or something like this that might come up. I think that's that's um, difficult, but I think the top one is probably bugs and documentation. And top two, I would say is versioning. That's always- For me, um, name of the show is Breaking Changes. So thank you for, for talking about Breaking Changes. Always helps my my cause. I don't really believe there's, uh, there's breaking changes. I mean, I, everything's a breaking change, but they're just not communicated. Things aren't communicated and planned. It's not that mm. it's a breaking change. It's just you got to let people know what's going on. Uh, and even if the, you let people know it's going on, having a release <laughs> note somewhere hidden on your website is not something that somebody ever will learn about unless it's too late. And maybe it reaches some Stack Overflow channel with a link back to that release note. So we recently had interesting experiences where people changed sort of their access control in unforeseen circumstances. Let's put it like this. And suddenly we don't get data in anymore. And really, uh, until you went to the sort of vendor's bug channel, uh, you wouldn't really see that this is um, some some major, well, not a major change. It's a, it's a corner case we hit. Let's put it like this. But it's sort of something that uh, wasn't coming to our attention yeah. early enough. Yeah, it's uh, that sort of visibility, communication, observability that one of the areas I'm really focused on right now is the relationship between the API producer and the consumer and making that as interactive and real time as possible. Mm -hmm. And Postman has what's called public workspaces. So think of a, a public workspace or there, we have private mm -hmm. partner ones too, but you can have a portal like an API mm -hmm. portal, but it's for an intended audience. And it's more than just your docs. It's got your, your API monitors, your contract tests, the results. So you're exposing more of your operations mm -hmm. with your consumer so that they know, they understand, they see the tests that you're running. Um, they have access mm -hmm. to your mocks. Yeah, so yeah. do you feel like at the data-driven layer that at source control and CICD, do you think there's ever a potential for a view of that data that would be with your consumers or publicly? Like, um, to show your velocity or, or, or reveal more data from behind your operations? Yeah, look, I think our, our primary consumer mm -hmm. sort of company internal, right? So we, we provide that information for your own organization. And I mean, we are, for, for our own data collection, we are a big fan of sort of static typing, static analysis. So it's basically the bit what you talk about contracts um, to make sure that all the different bits and pieces work together quite well. Look for that internal development process. I don't think we 
intend to share that necessarily with the customer. Um, I can see that maybe in terms of if you're a service provider, you basically like an you, know, you, you provide bodies for you know for some other company. You want to show yes, I'm doing best practices, something around that case. It's a, probably a bit a different use case than sort of showing your development process to to the end uh, user directly. I think for an end user. What I care about is that I get the right products that provide me business value and I get them quick enough. How exactly they do that magic there, it's probably secondary. Yeah. While me as an internal company, I want to deliver. I want to create that magic and I want to be consistent around that magic. So that's that's what I care about to, you know, the other side of the consumer producer contract i want to deliver you the best product possible in the shortest amount of time and ideally have a little bit of a profit margin there and as a consumer i want to exactly achieve or receive that type yeah. of product yeah interesting that that uh, again back to that api product manager like that feedback loop in the, and i'm always mm -hmm. just fascinated by uh how it evolves what 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 is it in different industries and so I'm lucky enough to have the show where I get to talk to people about uh, and and learn the different ways. So, so so back to what you're seeing in your offerings, what what you see with customers, are they largely wanting needing to do this on-prem in the cloud, a hybrid? Are they looking for VPC options? Like what's what's the yeah. kind of makeup of the landscape? Um, look, it's 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 really a bit different. Um, we we are. Um, very much focused around cloud and people who already use SaaS or cloud products. You know, you might have, I said, your, your GitHub, GitLab, Speedbuckets, you use your Jira, you have your CircleCI, GitHub Actions, you have some deployment tools. You already have a lot of things in the cloud and you probably made a conscious decision not to host your own infrastructure and not to build up your own data centers. So those are the ones that are kind of our ideal customers um, because they use modern systems. They already have APIs. We connect easily with that APIs. They become sort of first-class connectors in our system. You, the, the customer can authenticate with their own OAuth, um, SSO, um, you know, token-based. So we don't need to know any about this. We don't need to touch this. So that's that's all good. And, you know, it stays encrypted wherever it can and rest as well as in transit because it's all your metadata and you know we don't need to know this obviously if you come to let's say the top end of town there's still quite a bit that's run on prem um, they might have their own private clouds um, and that for those we probably come to a more customized solution because you know as you know in, in those situations nothing is out of the box anymore because things have been growing over time. And as you just said earlier in, in the discussion, you may have so many different teams that have different software life cycles. Typically, they come in through acquisitions, um, mergers, the, the usual activity. They have different environments. So how do you harmonize this? And so we, we typically work through some priority plan, how we onboard them, what's the most important teams, uh, what do you want to onboard? 
And then, yes, there might be still some, I don't name, want to name any tools, but some old on-prem tools that um, probably no longer support it. And you might or might not want to have that data there as well, or just focus on sort of the, the next generation of, of your company yeah. evolution. Yeah, it's interesting, the the incentives for people to modernize and move into the cloud. And it's one of kind of talking points that I have with guests is, is kind of their maturity, where they're at in their journey, depending whether in the financial or healthcare. And I, it's always fascinating to see where mm -hmm. people are. So in your journey, what's, what's the roadmap look like? What's next uh, for, for your roadmap? What, what, what are you guys investing in? Yeah, look, I think the correlation with cost becomes much more pressing. Um, and then this way, I'm just talking cloud cost here, not mm -hmm. so much around people. But can you sort of, one, two things, right? Can you measure how much does a feature cost me? How much does a product cost me? How does it scale uh, with my user base? Um, is that assumption, and especially, you know, moving from data center on-prem to cloud, how much do we depend on this? And if you have ever seen some AWS Google bill, um, it doesn't really give you a lot of insights around, you know, based back to, to product features. It tells you you use so much storage, you use so much compute, yeah. but how does it scale? So I think that's one of the areas that's really quite important. And the other thing is probably more on the deployment side. We, I mentioned already, let's say the quality aspect, how does your deployments, how successful are you? How long does it take you to recover if something is not successful? Maybe and a third aspect is also, and you touched on this earlier, what's about your customer sentiment? Can you feedback that in as well? Let's say you have some customers say, I really, you know, I never use that feature, why do you have it there? Is there a way to, to feedback that in? At the moment, these are really two desperate tools and two desperate, uh, separate worlds. It's not something I would say that's on our near-term roadmap, but it's sort of that keeps us thinking what's, what's going to be the future like and how do we move from the internal data-driven? That's one thing you have now. Then you have all the observability, log monitoring, and so on, which is a little bit your infrastructure external data-driven, and you maybe have sentiments on top of that as well. How do you marry up the, the whole thing? And it's not something that we're going to solve tomorrow. But maybe the day after, we should really think about how that yeah. all fits together. Um, because, again, it goes from, from me to you, back to me. How do we work and how do we sort of yeah. create the well, right this things? Was, this, having my API product manager hat on earlier, this is a common vein I'm getting across conversations here on Breaking Changes, but also with, with Postman customers is, is strengthening that feedback loop when it comes to product management. So you talked about the cost, like, tell me a cost of the mm -hmm. feature. What does this cost? Mm -hmm. Like flip to the biz ops, throw another ops in there is what are we charging? What's mm -hmm. the revenue? What are we mm -hmm. making off of this? How many customers are using it? Mm -hmm. Now you've got mm -hmm. a really sweet feedback loop mm -hmm. when it comes to me as a product manager, getting mm. what I need, which features are stay, which ones go, how much did they cost us? What, and back to mm. the predictability of all of this. Um, that's, that's pretty sweet, a pretty mm. sweet spot. I think the, there's still room for more powerful APIs as well, right? How, how, how do you make that all API driven rather than sort of having 
you know, some salespeople or some other systems in the loop and your Excel sheets that, you know, probably kept in certain parts of the organization to manage all this. But how does it become, a, you know, machinery crossing different organizational silos? Yeah. That there's probably room for quite some, yeah, some yeah, nice APIs. Yeah. Wow. This is a, I think we, we did pretty well for, for this podcast that covered a lot of ground, but very valuable. I appreciate you sitting down with me today and spending time to, to talk about your view of the landscape. Thanks a lot for, for having me, Ken. And yeah, all the, I think it was, was great to explore a little bit outside my, my usual scope to see how that all, you know, how, how you feedback that from the enterprise clients as well and how that, you know, the API world and the data world just really two things of the Yeah, no, this, I mean, point. this is what I love doing, pulling people out of their silos. I mean, I feel like that's what APIs are about is exposing yeah. us to the outside world. But then I get, I get to learn about your world too, in your view. So, all right. I appreciate right, thank it. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Ralph for stopping by. You can find more about Logilica at logilica.com and you can find Ralph on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And until next time, cheers.